Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter, because ideas can shape markets and at times change the world. Uh, we're in the security industry today, and we have the opportunity uh, to speak to one on the recommendation of one of our guiding coalition, Brian Cook from Marathon, who identified uh, somebody within his company who's dealing every day in their GSOC with uh, intelligent communications. And, uh, and we're gonna dig into that uh, over the next 30 minutes with Zachary Driscoll, the Executive Protection Global Security Operations member uh, uh, here live from Marathon Oil. How you doing, Zachary? I'm doing well, Ron. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to have you. Those of you who uh, obviously are on the audio cast can't see him. Uh, but he's a man from Kentucky, and he's passionate about Kentucky basketball. And I was sharing some old stories about my passion in the early days of the uh, uh, of uh, the John Wooden era. And uh, he he did share with me he hates UCLA. So for those of you in California, you need to know Kentucky does not like Duke or UCLA, right? That's correct, Ron. That's correct. <laughs> Uh, we are live, though, from uh, Marathon Oil, and what an opportunity. Uh, first, let's just do a little background, uh, Zachary. You uh, have had the unique opportunity. We're at an inflection point in this industry, and you have a unique front-of-row seat on that opportunity, but I'd like to know how you got there. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, Ron. Um, so, you know, growing up, uh, wanted to, uh, knew I wanted to either go the military route or the, the federal three-letter agency route so at some point in my career and, you know, started off on that track and ended up uh, getting a uh, bachelor's degree in, in Homeland Security and Counterterrorism. And then, you know, at the time it was uh, when uh, many of our veterans were coming uh, back from Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, I wasn't, uh, wasn't properly suited with, the, with veterans preference points to, to really get into a federal agency at the time. So I ended up going the local police route um, for, for a bit. And then uh, I had happened to work for Marathon uh, while I was in college down in, down in Texas doing physical security at the, the refinery down there. And uh, you know, coming right out of the academy, uh, Marathon uh, gave me a call and had a position open in their, in their corporate security group and I ended up, uh, ended up taking it. So uh, I guess you could say that I pretty much went from college straight into the, to the corporate world. And of course, back to college again, because a couple of years later, you began your master's program. That's correct. I uh, went to GW in, in DC and, and got a master's in uh, safety and security leadership. So, so now you're within the security fabric of Marathon Oil, uh, but you were given a unique opportunity because, uh, because Marathon at the time was beginning to rethink how they thought about a GSOC and uh, explore that with me. What were the main considerations? What were the drivers of rethinking the GSOC? Sure, so, so at the time, uh, like many uh, companies and many large uh, corporations around the world, uh, we had local uh, security operations centers that really focused on one fence line uh, from, from a physical security standpoint, but we didn't have any type of, of centralization for uh, for, for mitigating risk. So, and, and those risks specifically are uh, risk to your, your traveling workforce. So, you know, we have 45 to 50,000 travelers a year. 
uh, that are out on the road, whether that's engineers or, or marketing reps or uh, you know safety safety professionals. Um, we also didn't have um, anyone looking at uh, workplace violence threats or uh, threats from uh, open source. Uh, open source resources, so your social media platforms, your, uh, you know, YouTube, um, and we've seen a trend, uh, particularly in the the targeted violence arena of uh, those those pre-indicators, pre-attack indicators that are showing up, uh, particularly on social media, especially with the younger population. So we felt that the the need to to monitor those open source uh, social media platforms, specifically, specifically from a workplace violence standpoint. Uh, and then kind of the third third factor for the GSOC is we wanted a, uh, a central focus and, and somewhere to have a common operating picture where we can view all of our assets, uh, all the threats to our assets, uh, you know, CCTV from our assets, particularly during an emergency response uh, situation uh, as well. So uh, just to summarize, uh, one, duty of care, people on the road in transition. Two, a central a centralization of pre-indicator data that would give you a proactive stance in mitigating risk and three and three uh, also bringing together a common operating picture that would allow you to also um, uh, plan your resources within a process using your technology in the future did I get that right that's exactly correct uh, you're using a technology, and I, I'd like to bring this to the forefront because we want all voices on this, but you're using something called a visual command center. Tell me exactly what it does and how it works. So visual command center um, is really an integration tool. So uh, it's a way to bring uh, your geolocations of all of your assets uh, it's also a way to bring in uh, geolocations or dynamic locations of your of your traveling workforce. Uh, there's other opportunities to bring in um, if you have a, a trucking or a rail organization or even a marine fleet. Um, so you have a, a full picture of, of your operational footprint, but it's also a way to bring in um, risks and uh, different types of risk data. So whether that's a uh, you know, social media risk-based data, like a, like an NC4 or a data miner, um, whether it's uh, a news-related or a uh, geological, so National Weather Service or um, uh, geo-related uh, information. Uh, basically, anything that could that any type of incident that could impact your uh, your assets or your um, or your people. And and what I find fascinating is. You know, sometimes you say social media and you don't realize actually the extent at which uh, you're channeling that information from open source data. How many different channels of data do you actually have out there? It's not just Twitter, right? Right. And, you know, we're, we're looking at um, uh, 40 to 50 different uh, channels and platforms of, of information. Um, and that is, you know, you think about everything that's been digitized, whether it's it's newspapers, whether it's, uh, you know, YouTube, uh, whether it's the comments on YouTube videos that you're that you're looking for, um, especially particularly on like violent ideation. Um, the comments are really what you're looking for when you're when you're monitoring um, like a YouTube network, for instance. Um, and then you also have your messaging services and your and your your Reddit pages and 
uh, 4chan, for instance, um, some of your, your Chinese and Russian uh, social media uh, networks that aren't particularly used uh, within the United States as much as Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and, yeah. and YouTube, for instance. And you've been doing this for about three years now. Is that correct? That's correct. We, we started our, um, our feasibility and implementation uh, phase of, of our GSOC uh, back in 2016 and, and really got off the ground in uh, about third quarter of 2017. So without uh, providing any sensitive information, can you give me just a couple of examples on the payoff? That is, it's great you've got a common operating picture, but have you seen that common operating picture pay off in any particular incident uh, or, uh, or action that you've had to take over the last couple, two, three years? Absolutely. So uh, we have seen it pay off. Uh, I can name two specific um, active shooter situations where uh, we had people either uh, in a facility or in the immediate vicinity of the facility uh, where we were able to one, reach out to them and let them know what's going on and the, the situation and what's unfolding. And then at the same time, we were able to pass up, uh, you know, our management chain uh, to all the way to our, um, our CEO and, and tell them that, Hey, we do have people in the area. We've spoken to them. They are okay. Uh, we're doing everything we can working with our local people on the ground to, uh, to ensure their, their safety and, and make sure they get home uh, safely. Uh, one in particular was, uh, was the El Paso shooting uh, in 2019. Uh, and the other was the uh, Fort Lauderdale airport uh, a couple years ago. I can't remember the exact date on that one. So just to put it in context here, from the point it unfolded, let's just say the initiation of the incident, at what point, how long did it take for you to become aware of it and how long then how it took for you to take action on it? So uh, as many people know, the, the fastest way for information is, is really social media. Um, that being said, it's also not the most authoritative. Uh, it's, it's not a vetted source. It's not a vetted intelligence source. So uh, what we look to do is when we get that initial report, we try to uh, correlate that information from, from multiple sources to, to validate that, hey, this is actually happening. Uh, we were able to correlate and, and get spe specifically for the El Paso shooting, we were able to get multiple videos uh, from the uh, externally there from the Walmart to, to with high confidence say that that, it, that issue is happening. Uh, we were able to uh, get what we, what we call a critical alert out uh, within, uh, within three minutes uh, of that, uh, that incident uh, occurring, actually getting that alert um, and able to um, say that, hey, you know, this, is, this is happening, this is a real event. Uh, within three minutes, we were able to get that alert out um, and verify that uh, uh, you know, that, that we, that our people were, were okay, essentially. That's outstanding. Um, now you alluded to a common operating system, 40 channels, 50 channels of information coming at you, the ability to quickly correlate it, validate it. Uh, but, it, uh, but you also brought up, uh, correlating and validating it against video surveillance on the ground. Now, that is a separate contained system that isn't necessarily fully integrated in with the cop, right? That's correct. So we have, uh, we have access to, to some uh, public CCTV cameras within our system, uh, mostly traffic cameras that are, that are open source. Um, but from our proprietary, uh, you know, company owned security cameras, uh, no, we, we maintain 
that on a separate network um, and, and we don't, uh, those networks don't, don't talk to each other uh, primarily just because we don't have any openings into our, um, our secure network. It, uh, but does it, do you sacrifice the time to value back to you need to correlate it against your own video? Do you sacrifice any time for, because of the lack of integration between the two? Yes. Yes. I would agree that we do. Um, if we, you know, the idea would, would be to have everything centralized on one platform to truly have that, that common, uh, that common operating picture from all available, all available resources. Yeah. In a sense, the, uh, your company network, if you will, uh, once it can be uh, secured in the minds of your management team, could be another channel in the cop. Absolutely. That's right. Fantastic. Okay. Th this is interesting. I very much appreciate it. Um, uh, let, let me ask you a couple of things. Uh, since you've been on a front row seat, all the way from the design of this, the assessment of the risk, the design of it, the deployment, through the rollout, any lessons learned for your peers on, um, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, any lessons learned that you can share with them if they were going to consider a similar approach? I would have built a bigger room. <laughs> Am I looking at your room right now? <laughs> no, no, you're not. I, I don't actually sit in the, in the GSOC, but um, you know, we know what I, what I mean by that is, you know, we, we had our initial uh, initial investment and, and we uh, picked a lot of different programs to centralize as, as functions in there to really build the, the ROI that we needed to justify the cost of uh, the construction and also the, the cost of hiring the, the personnel and also sourcing the technology that we needed to centralize the function. But, you know, over the past three years, we have added uh, a lot of different programs that aren't necessarily security related. Um, but that have needed some type of 24-7 nexus, whether that was, uh, you know, an, a, an emergency call line that needed to be added for a regulatory reason or um, whether it was uh, this, these cameras need to be watched because of a regulatory uh, issue or something in a regulatory plan. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of areas that, that we're looking to try to expand into, but now that we have the bases and the processes uh, kind of lined out, we're just looking to uh, one, one streamline, streamline our processes and, and, and pick and choose which ones are, uh, which ones are, are more refined already and, and go to other business units that maybe have a, uh, a less refined process and, and try to merge those processes into something that's a little more lean and a little more streamlined uh, and then create efficiencies with our, with our current staff. Um, you know, we, the other thing I, I would say is, is I would invest a, uh, more time into developing your people um, because really what we found is there's not any situations in there that are black and white. You can write all the procedures that you want, um, but you can't have a procedure for every situation. So you develop, you develop your people uh, and let them make the decisions on the fly uh, based on, you know, um, based on a circle, right? Uh, of feedback and, and, and keep them and retain them. We've had excellent retention uh, in the GSOC. Uh, and, and it's, I think it's because uh, we have let them make decisions and, and been able to uh, really build, 
build on our on our network and and their ability to respond and um, particularly their uh, their ability to really uh, I'll say connect the dots uh, from like an intelligence analysis standpoint. How interesting! So if you're recruiting and then onboarding and then training your people for a role in this center, you're really looking for a particular uh, mindset, if you will, that allows them to quickly consume uh, information, see it in a holistic way, a mindset, if you will, because you can't teach them a process for every situation. They're going to have to make and then be empowered to make decisions real time. That's correct. And I, I think the probably the hardest factor uh, in the beginning was really teaching all of our analysts the business side. Um, some of them came from the security side and they understand security response, but teaching someone uh, about crude and crude sourcing and, and how pipelines and, and, and what regulations impact pipelines and what incidents could impact a terminal, for instance, uh, and how all of that fits together from a response side and, and organizational structure and organizational strategy, uh, that was something completely new. Uh, for most of our, our analyst team. So, you know, in, in the beginning, we spent two weeks doing an onboarding process and we, we brought in SMEs from every business unit to talk about what they're responsible for uh, and really hit the highlights on, on what their organization does. And I think that helped really uh, frame how the analyst at the end of the day, if they receive a, an emergency call or they receive an incident notification from, from Visual Command Center, uh, really what to do and how to respond to that. So, so in a sense, you've created a marathon university to teach your people, you know, step one, you know, sh shed your background for a second. You're going to learn the oil business. You're going to learn the energy business as seen through marathons, mission, vision, and purpose. You're going to see that first because then you can contextualize that and apply it to risk mitigation efforts. That's what I'm hearing. And so you've actually a formalized kind of a little two-week university. That's correct. And and our our, uh, the, our supervisor that we have in there now uh, has a has a, a formal uh, onboarding process that she's built over the years, uh, and it works uh, it works very well. Obviously, there's some some OJT involved, um, but like I said, our our retention has been uh, has been very well. Um, you know, compared to, to other um, sectors in the security industry. And um, yeah. I think it's, I think it's partly because we try to give as much education as we can to sure. our team. Well, I think that, uh, I think that would be wonderful um, to connect with her in the future to see how she actually developed that coursework to see if it can be, we can extrapolate some lessons learned there and apply it to other industries as well. So it'd be great if you could introduce me over email one of these days. Absolutely. So, which brings me to a great segue. First of all, thank you for a great conversation. Uh, uh, what I'd like to ask you now, is there anything, any white papers? You know, one thing that we brought to mind, you mentioned the term ROI when you were justifying the initial inception of this GSOC, this COP. What was the ROI premise, by the way? It's always fascinating to me what ROI means to security professionals. Sure. So um, what we, we looked at programs that we currently paid for. So there were a cost of the company that were outsourced to outside organizations. And we looked across the company and we said, what 
of these programs, what can we centralize and bring in house to essentially cover the cost of staffing and uh, the programs that we need to either build uh, or source off the shelf? And how can we cover those initial costs to make it a net zero uh, to get this off the ground? And we were we were able to do that almost. There was there were still some initial upfront costs, but I mean I think there isn't anything that you build uh, these days. But you know that's not a that wasn't just a day one. Um, you know every every uh, year we look at what programs we can bring in to to save the uh, save the company money, um, and we've identified uh, some over the years. I mentioned uh, regulatory compliance as being one of those. Uh, we, you know, we we saved quite a bit of money. Uh, around some regulatory compliance uh, that we were able to work out with uh, the Coast Guard uh, from a security plan perspective, um, you know, and and I think the the trend uh, is going to be in the future is is going to be how do you how do you use a GSOC to create business value for the organization, um, and I think those two trends that you're going to see. Uh, the first one is uh, how can we use our existing GSOC structure to uh, create a competitive advantage? And I think you're going to see that uh, primarily through from a social media standpoint. Uh, the next piece is how do you mitigate risk to your supply chain uh, using your, your current GSOC infrastructure? I think those two, um, those two functions, if you can figure out a way to implement those in your GSOC are going to be are, are going to create business value that, you know, the commercial side of the business understands, um, which I know there's always a disconnect between the commercial side and the security side. But, you know, I think if you can show hard numbers that you're saving the company money um, or that you're preventing risks or mitigating risks that would cost the company money, um, you're going in the right direction. Well, the cost and risk are, are normally associated with a return on investment. Uh, and you see quite typically, it's usually I can cut this vendor or I can cut this body count or whatever, but rarely do I see a return on value back to the business. So these two trends should start to intersect with that value proposition. Is that correct? I would agree. Okay. And is that something you might see over the next 12 months, 24 months, five years? What, what kind of time frame do you think that will start to appear? Um, I would expect two to three years. Um, I, I would your your companies that are, are very technologically focused and and are able to um, you know build those programs with maybe their existing technology. I think are probably already doing it. Um, but I would I would I've seen vendors uh, some of the ones that we we currently use kind of put that on the table a little bit. Um, so far, and but I think it's really going to start to catch hold when you really get some white papers and some case studies out there of, of companies that are willing to share what they've done and, and how they've uh, you know created that that value. I would agree. Uh, a couple of the vendors I think I know you use, uh, Everbridge and Dynamite, are, are starting to tease that out a little bit. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, those are those are two. Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, anybody we should be inviting to the table next? Uh, in the great conversation? Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but um, I'd be more than happy to take it back to the drawing board and uh, see what I can come up with. Except maybe that university professor we're talking about, and I'm teasing. Oh, that's true. Right? That's true. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll have some fun with that. Any papers, white papers, 
uh, uh, books that you would suggest reading in or around what we've talked about today? Um, I, I don't know if I can point to something specifically, uh, but I guess something that's, that's really helped me understand more because, you know, I, I see, I see data analysis and big data analysis, something that you're going to see more in the security world, uh, especially, you know, you, you see, you see a lot of it in the safety world and, and how they try to use that data to mitigate risks um, proactively and, and predict, uh, you know, those safety incidents, uh, process safety management. And I, I think the more you can start to understand how you can use data in your favor and how you can forecast you know, incidents within the security industry or incidents in the business world that are going to impact the security world, um, the better off you're going to be. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Harvard Business Review. Uh, there, there are many studies and their articles they put out. Um, I would, I would encourage people if you're, um, you don't review uh, HBR regularly to, um, to really pay attention to their, their material. Actually, I'll turn you on to a couple of uh, consultants in the safety field that are starting to bridge that gap into security and uh, see if uh, that might help you as well. I'll make that happen for you. Then a great conversation with Zachary Driscoll. Thank you very much, Brian Cook, for turning us on to him. It's been very enlightening and educational. And Zachary, hope to have you back one day. Sounds great, Ron. Thanks for the opportunity.